You're going to sit on that side of the room? You're going to sit over there all by yourself? Oh, okay. All right, that's just scaring me for a little bit. Um, I hope you can just just catch a glimpse of that wrestling match um, this week. I mean, everything stems, stems from, from what we think about God. Everything stems from our, 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 our perspective, and sometimes our feelings cloud that, because the Bible tells us who He is. And uh, again, something just loud and clear kept coming out. Sometimes even when we don't feel like believing, God doesn't change. And sometimes we're called to rehearse that to ourselves. Over and over. This is who God is. And uh, I trust that will come through the message this morning loud and clear. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just again thank you for these couple moments you have before us. Lord, I thank you for the hunger for your word. Lord, I thank you for the hunger for truth. Hunger for just, uh, and I, I look, around, look around the room and uh, I see a lot of, of believers, Lord, that have been saved longer than I've been alive. Lord, and, and that's a testimony to, to a love for you and, a, and a, just a, a reassurance, Lord, from your text that you are who you say you are. I pray, Lord, uh, as we look at these truths, we understand that um, we may know them, but we're surrounded by people who quickly forget and possibly don't know who you are. And I pray that these these truths would settle in, maybe not as a, as a teach me something I don't know, but maybe a, an opening of our hearts to be able to explain this to someone who's living as they don't know. And I just pray that you would lead this morning in your precious name. Amen. So John chapter 4, and uh, I'm just going to jump in here at, at verse, verse 46. Um, again, a real, real life situation real-life people, real-life crisis, uh, real-life circumstance. And the moment that we, we forget that, the moment we miss, miss the application, we miss looking for the heart of God in this. And I think that happens all, all too often. That's how people get down so low. Where is the heart of God? What is He teaching me here? And verse 46 says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So Jesus had already done his first sign here. He'd already proved um, that there's something different about him, right? And we know that everything that Jesus does points, it bears witness of the Father. It points towards him being the Son of God. But the last part of that, verse 46 says, And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And I just want us to pause for a second and think of the time that Jesus is living and preaching in. Jesus is living and preaching in a time where the world empire under Rome most certainly did not believe in God. Right? And I maybe, maybe bring that into a little bit narrower. Didn't believe in God, Jehovah. Right? Jesus is living and, and preaching in a time where, where Rome, under the, the Roman Empire, did not obey God. Right? And, and we know that um, just through the different things that we know through history. The Hellenistic Greek culture did whatever pleased the flesh. We don't have to get too creative to think of what that was like back then. 
right? Uh, whenever I think of, of whatever it pleases the flesh, our, our carnal side, I, I think of just whatever pleases the mind. There must have been and there was a gateway to the eyes, right? There was, there was visual images. There was, there was a stimulus. There was something before them all the time pulling them away from, from, from God's standard physically, Right? It was always in the Hellenistic culture, and I think the word is hedonistic, where it was, I want to do what I want to do. Right? It was always about me. Uh, emotionally, the Hellenistic culture just oozes of its whatever makes me happy. Right? It's, all about, it's all about me. Sexually, uh, we don't need to get into that, but it was a very perverted culture. The Hellenistic Greek culture certainly didn't care about God's standard. Right? We also know at this time as Jesus is, is living and preaching that God's own people didn't care about God's standard. God's own people uh, were lost in their own agendas, their own, their own thoughts, their own ideas on how things would go. God's own people were lost in making demands of God. If you're really God, you're going to do this. We are Israel. We're the children of Abraham. You will do this for us. God's own people were lost in the idolatry of religion, of practice, of the doing. Right? Their hearts weren't in it. These people weren't saved. And yet here we are in verse 46. A certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum running to this Jesus. That noble man in the Greek explains to us that he was a king's man, right? an official, um, somebody working, um, hand-selected. I mean, we don't have time to get into to how and what it meant to be trained as a, a Roman soldier, putting in your time, uh, brainwashed into to Caesar being a god. right? But here we have a king's man running to this God, man, Jesus. Right? And, and it really, really makes you think here. This noble man, this king's man, had no relationship with God. Right? And let's just start at ground zero. He had no relationship with God. This noble man had not had a need for God Jehovah prior to this. I didn't have a need. Didn't have a need for, for the Almighty God prior to this situation. This man coming to where Jesus is does not believe in God. But yet here he's seen reaching out to this Jesus who has been displaying God to this Jewish people. This must have been a desperate situation. It must have just, just been, been, been last, last straw almost for this man. Right? Never had a need before, and here we have him coming. Had me pause this week thinking, and it had already come out there as we were practicing, the world notices God's hand at work. Right? Think with me. The world, the unsaved, the people that are stuck in culture and lost in the sins, they notice God's hand at work. Doesn't matter how hard their hearts seem or how deaf their ears seem to be towards the Word of God or, or how blind they are to how much they need, uh, what, how this changes your life. 
the world notices God's hand at work. And yesterday morning was a perfect example. A, a man with, with nowhere else to turn. Well, where is he going to turn? To the church. Where do we direct him to? To Christ. Right? The world notices God's hand at work. Sometimes more than the people in the pew. Right? Sometimes I think there we just go, get so used, um, used to talking about God, used to praying that we miss what God's doing. The world notices. The world knows that they need Him. Why else, and I was careful there, this almost sent me in a different direction, why else do they call for a preacher every time something goes wrong? Right? The world knows that they need God. Right? There's no other explanation. They just aren't willing to have that change of mind. Right? The world knows that they need God, and I picture this nobleman with that personal struggle. <laughs> I, I know what he... <laughs> I, I, I need what this man is doing. I, I, I need this. But there's something that has to come first. Right? And that's that change of mind. Change of mind towards sin. Uh, the change of mind that we know is going to affect our hearts. Change of heart that we know is going to affect our life. And the people of the world know they need God, but they're not willing to repent. They're not willing to change. They're not willing to turn from what, what pleases me. If I had ramped myself up a little bit more, I might have said with a lot of energy, the world is not all outside the church. The world is not all outside the church. This noble man whose son was at sick at Capernaum uh, hears, verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him, okay, he went to Jesus and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. You start considering what nature of man this was. Right? Coming to Jesus. He hears he's coming up out of, out of Judea this man came to where Jesus was under so many different categories. He came as a, an unsaved man. Now, I think most of us were saved at a young age. I, I don't know everyone's testimony, whether it's, and it's a young age, right? Um, only a few of us. Daryl, I know you came to Christ there as a grown man, so you'll be able to relate with, with this. This man came to Jesus as an unsaved man like a fish out of water. Okay? And what I mean by that is, is he come, he come in, this, this noble man, unsaved, doesn't have a clue about God, Jesus' standards, nothing, is coming to this man with a request of this magnitude. Again, with this statement there, this noble man was coming to this God-man. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to expect. Right? It's like when we have visitors that haven't been in church for, for several years. They, they gravitate to the back pew because they don't know. And you picture this, this, this nobleman, this king's man, coming to Jesus. He doesn't have a clue. How do you ask Jesus to heal your son? How do you ask Jesus um, with humility, knowing that the answer might be no? How, how, do you, how do you approach this situation? Do you just go and demand it? Right? This man is, approaches Jesus as an unsaved man. And all the uncertainties, the apprehension, the questions and the doubts that come from approaching Catch this, the light of the world. Right? Approaching the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, I mean, that was no secret. That's what they were calling Christ. 
That was the message of John the Baptist. How do you approach this this God-man who you do not know with a request of this magnitude? So this man comes to where Jesus was. Um, He went to him there as an unsaved man. He came as a Greek-Roman official, right? Someone who is used to power and position, used to commanding men, used to seeking logical conclusions. I mean, it... it, it, For logical thinkers, it needs to make sense. This man was a commander. It needed to make sense, right? A plus B equals C. Now, I don't know this man's mind, but I do know this man's religion. This man believed in many gods, small g, right? This man believed in demi-gods, small g. Think with me. This is your Zeus and your Hercules and... And, and your Athena warrior princess, or was that Xena? And I'm going, and, and all your mythology, right? This is what this man was submersed in. And as he's watching Jesus do these miracles, and he knows that he, he turned water into wine, and I mean, this guy's going, and he's, he, he's, he's ripping up the temple, right? He's thinking, okay, I understand, this is a demigod. That this is a, a son of a, of a god somehow, and if I go and I, I logically ask him to do this for me, he's going to come and do what a god does. Right? Makes sense. A plus B equals C. Doesn't work like that, does it? Though sometimes, I think even we ourselves logically approach God, and we miss the faith aspect to that. As this man hears the whispers of the Messiah down in Judea that the Christ is coming up, he begins to challenge his own thinking. Right? Think with me. Like he's submersed in this mythology, submersed in, in incense and altars to, to, to whoever it is. And he begins challenging his own thinking about his own universe. Right? We call it a worldview in our studies. Right? Challenging his, his worldview. Um, For a man with many gods, it made sense. So a man comes as an unsaved man. He comes as a, a Greek Roman official. He comes as a man. He comes as a desperate father. Right? And that's the, that's the category that most of us gravitate to because we can, we can relate with that. Um, this man, this desperate father, comes looking, comes to where Jesus is looking for something to believe in. So I really feel that he probably exhausted. Nothing else was working. He had no other options. You can picture the fears, desperation, despair, eyes that have no more tears left to cry. This man's son was dying. And this is when it gets sobering really, really quickly. This man is so desperate that as he hears the whispers of this Messiah, who he doesn't know, doesn't know anything about, this Christ coming up from Judea, that's when he begins challenging his own thinking. He looks and begins to understand that there is a higher power in life, higher than what he's been believing in. Right? He's recognizing that there is a God, Jehovah. The whole eternity in his heart, right? and we keep talking about that, Psalm 139, that eternity that every person saved and unsaved is, is formed within the, hum, in the womb begins to awaken in this man. Because right? we're all created with that need to search for God, to worship 
God, that eternity in his heart begins to listen to those whispers about Jesus. And it's from those whispers about who Jesus is that that seed is planted. Right? That whisper, and all of a sudden there he's in, he's in Cana. And we see a, a glimmer of hope, which we know is faith. Right? It's starting to register for this man. But we know that hearing about Jesus is not enough for faith. There's a coming to the Savior. Right? There's a coming to the door. There's a coming to, 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 to meet Christ. There's a coming to the source, the Creator. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 comes to mind. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, comes to God, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So when He heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, He went to Him. Right, went, there's a going, and implored him. Now, it's interesting enough in the Greek, that's the third time we've seen in this chapter John use that word. The other two times is urge. Right, early in the chapter, we have the, the disciples urging Jesus to eat, and then we have the Samaritans urging him to stay two days. Well, now we have this man urging or imploring Jesus to come heal his son. There's a request, and this isn't a casual thing, is it? You don't, you don't casually ask someone to come save your son's life. When a lost heart, when a hurting heart is crying out to God for the first time, sincerely, with this magnitude, it's not always asked properly. And I want you to consider with me this morning. This is the first time this man has ever asked God Jehovah for anything. This is the, the first time this desperate father has ever had that conversation with God over a need that is tearing his heart out. Right? And, it, and I know my own tendencies, and, and I'm thinking back even to some of the different experiences in my life, but sometimes when we ask or make a request of God, it comes with expected results, doesn't it? When we make that request of God, we say, okay, this is what it needs to look like after, after you've done your part, God. Right? And, and, and that prayer, that request comes with expected results. It comes with naive demands of God. Right? We approach Him that logically, this is the problem, A. This would be the solution, B. This needs to be <laughs> the answer, C. It comes with naive demands. The bottom line of it is we come with confused commands of God. We're commanding God in those requests. That's kind of a scary place to be as a, an obedient son, daughter, servant, slave of the king. As this man comes to Jesus and he's imploring him, he's asking for the life of his son. But is it the will of the Father? And that's the thing that, that, that most of us, even in mature faith, have a hard time wrestling with. Right? Is it the will of the Father? It's here, and then I put it in my notes, it's here we must take a step back for a moment to ensure that the emotions of our heart do not cloud the power of this text. Right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't distract us 
from what God is saying here this morning. Our heart and humanity, when we look at this situation, this, this father coming and, and asking Jesus to, and what does he say there in verse 49? Sir, come down before my child dies. There's a very real request. And our heart and humanity tell us that God hears this man's request and he'll heal this child because he wants to. Right? Our heart tells us that. Or our heart and humanity will tell us there this, this father's making this request and God is going to heal this child because that's what God does. Right? That's what God should do. That's what God does do. But in this story, in this narrative, and John specifically putting this in here so that we see Jesus as the Son of God, what if he hadn't healed this boy? What if he hadn't healed this boy? What if this boy had passed away? Would, would that have changed who Jesus is in this narrative? No. Would God no longer be in control of this situation? No. Would that have changed God's perfect plan for this man's life? Would God have ceased to be omniscient, all-powerful, loving, merciful, heavenly Father? The Bible says He is. It breaks my heart how many times people in this Coldstream community have said, I just don't know whether I believe God is who He says He is anymore. I just, I just, I, I, I just don't know is their response to God is faithful through this. I just don't know anymore. That's a heartbreaking thing. Heartbreaking thing. This man comes to God with a request for this temporal life. But God's plan is for eternal life. There's a higher, higher purpose here that we need to see. We need to understand as we, we approach verse 48, and Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. We need to understand that the initial answer to the request of this father was not yes. It wasn't yes. Jesus speaks these words to the crowd and the Father is grouped in this. This crowd and this Father wanted the working of God, wanted the working of God without the person of God. They wanted God to do this for them. They didn't want the, the person of, of who He is. And God says to this unsaved man, this Roman official, this desperate, broken-hearted Father, I am not a cheap magic show. And I read that in one of the commentaries. And it really, really struck home. I'm not a cheap magic show for you to, to make these requests to run to whenever you have something that you cannot fix on your own. Right? They wanted the working of God and not the person of God. Makes us pause and think of even our own requests our own situations, our own circumstances. And I know many of us can relate with this passage this morning. The Bible commands that we pray it is for God's will to be done. We talked about the things that we endure, the, the suffering. Um, I, and I don't remember the history behind even the writer of that, it is well with my soul, but I know there was trauma and heartbreak behind it. Right? We are commanded to pray God's will be done. Where do I find that? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And there's, there's multiple verses. We know it. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We get hung up on, on, on our scenarios and our circumstances as much as it hurts. But by faith, we are called upon to pray for His will to be done on earth. That's what leads us through. Only a Christian who is truly looking for God's will to be done, no matter what that entails, understands this verse. A prayer of faith is seeking God's will in the situation. Now, maybe we don't have a child that's passing, but maybe, maybe we're, we're, we're struggling through the loss of, of, of a loved one, test results, separation, um, finances. I mean, the list goes on and on. But we're to pray for God's will to be done. That changes how we make our request, our imploring. A believer understands by faith that God's will is where our peace comes from, no matter what the outcome of the situation Right? Our peace comes from God's perfect will being done no matter how, how we process that in our minds. A prayer of faith is asking God to show me His will. And I really feel that, that a lot of us get tripped up. A lot of our, our children, a lot of our loved ones get tripped up in, in the fact that they're not praying, God, show me Your will in this. Right? They ask for the leading, they ask for the deliverance, but, but we're not asking God, open our eyes to what you are doing in and through this circumstance. For this man coming to Jesus, he couldn't pray a prayer of faith. He didn't know who God was. He couldn't pray a prayer of faith. He didn't know who Jesus was. This father needed to believe first. His father needed to believe that God is who he says he is. Most of us in our hurt and crisis and our weights and our burdens, and again, it takes us rehearsing what we believe. I just quickly sat down and I thought, what would I say in the father's position here? Right? Connor, Connor's had an accident and I rushed Ontario, right? And, and he's on one of those monitors, right? He, we only have a few moments what do I say to God as I'm, I'm driving that 14, six, well, yeah, it was a 16-hour drive. I'd probably do it in less um, if he was injured, right? Be honest. But what do I say to God on, on, on that 12 hours of, of just broken-hearted agony and anxiousness? I need to rehearse my faith. God, I know you are who you say you are. My Bible tells me so. Right? There's, no, there's no other, in my emotions, and my feelings, God, you are who you say you are. God, as I reach out to you as a child of yours, I'm a child of the King, I know you hear me. Just, just, just hypothetically. God, I know that you have what is best for me in my mind here. God, I need to see you in this. I, I need to see your hand at work in this. I need to see your will and how much this hurts me right now. Right? This doesn't make sense to me. I need to see your will. I'm scared. I can't fix this. God, but you can. It's only after rehearsing those things to myself, my faith, my theology about who God is, because I know He doesn't change, 
that I'd be able to utter something like this. I don't want to lose or experience losing this precious possession of mine. But if it is in your will, help me give him to you. Right? He's yours. If we don't come to that place of understanding that God doesn't change. God knows best. God, God will give you the strength to, to, to work through that. We'll never get to that place of seeing God for who He is. No matter the situation, and again, no matter the situation, no matter what the equation looks like, percentages, complications, or details, it's all about believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in His name. It's not just salvation. That's living this life. It's being led of the Spirit through what God calls us to endure. It's, it's living and being a witness through the, the most traumatic things imaginable. You may have life in His name. When we pray as believers, it's for God's will to be done. When we hurt, we pray that God leads us through because He knows best. When we are lost, when we get confused, when we forget because it happens, we must rehearse to ourselves what we believe the Bible says about God. There's no other way a believer can get through that. We cannot listen to what we think and how we feel. This man, verse 49, and, and it should go fairly quickly from here on. 49, an old man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I don't know how he asked that. I know there's an exclamation at the end of it. I, I, I can imagine the emotion, the volume level, right? This is a pretty serious request. But this man says the first thing that comes to his mind when Jesus clumps him with the crowd and says, I am not a cheap magic show. Sir, come down before my child dies. This father was thinking in the present. But the mind of God operates in the eternal. Right? God's bigger plan. God's from the before the foundations of the world plan. God does what's best. God's perfect will is perfect. This man's salvation was more important than healing this son. This man coming to that point of belief that Jesus was the Son of God was more important than this temporal request. This man's salvation of his household was more important than this temporal request. As hard as it is to understand, life itself is important, but it's the souls of men that take priority even when life is being lost. Right? Illness. It took illness to bring him to where Jesus was and brokenness to see who God is. A powerful thing to consider. Right? Powerful thing to consider. You pause and think of how many faithful missionaries having committed their lives to Christ. And, and a lot of the times you're reading the books that are, are from the 20s, uh, 1920s or, or before then. Faithful missionaries committed their lives to Christ, furtherance of the Gospel, forsaking all to follow Him, having prayed this very same prayer, made this very same request to God to come down and heal their child before they die. How many missionaries pleaded these words, and yet God called that child home 
and you read those books and you read how it furthered their faith, it pushed them with the gospel. It pushed them deeper into what God had called them to. Why? Because they understood that God doesn't change in circumstance. Their eyes and their faith were open to, to who the Son of God is. Stick with me here in between verse 49 and 50. We have the old man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed. Had to have been something more in this situation. <laughs> there had to have been something, something else transpire in between that, that, that him pleading and Jesus speaking and him believing. There had to have been something else in there. I'm not trying to add, add a half verse, but I can, I can see a father, a desperate father, outpouring his heart at this place because there is a conversation here with God. There's an understanding in his heart that needs to take place in order for him to accept Jesus as the Son of God. I picture a father, a desperate father, and again, many of us have probably been there in this place saying, God, Lord Jesus, whoever I'm supposed to be praying to right now, I believe. I really do. I believe what I've heard, right? what Jesus has been telling us, what, what Jesus has been saying, what Jesus has been doing. I believe you are the Messiah, as people say you are. I believe you can help my son if it is your will. Desperate times bring out desperate prayers. But then we can see the purpose of Christ flourish. Because even there with just six words, go your son live, go your way, your son lives, this man believes. He didn't need anything more. He didn't need, didn't need a sign, didn't need a proof, didn't need a business card saying, okay, I can come back for a refund if it doesn't work. This man believes there's something about how Jesus says, go your way, your son lives, that showed this man that this was God. Showed this man that this was God and that he, he, he was to believe in Him. God's person doesn't change with need. God never changes. God's sovereignty extends over this horrific situation, whether I understand it or not. So this man chooses to believe. And that's as simple as it is. Same as that man receiving faith yesterday morning. It's as simple. He chose to place his faith in the Son of God. And that is when the equation changes. How many, how many hardships? How many, how many prolonged broken hearts? How many weights and chains do we, do we, do we carry? But it's when, the Christ, it's when Christ becomes Master that we are freed from those chains. And those chains aren't just sin. Right? Those chains aren't just, just things there that, that we're doing they are not pleasing before God. Those chains are, are the weights and burdens found in our hurt, found in our grief, found in the things that, that we suffer, whether it's physically or mentally. This man came to a belief in Jesus. This man came to a place of faith where Jesus became the Son of God in his heart, not just for salvation, but for his life. Right, and we see it led through as he goes back to his household. The desperate situation itself didn't change. 
but it lost its chaotic sense of desperation and urgency when Jesus took his place as the Son of God in his life. Just go to the last slide there, Edward. When Christ is seen, and again, I, you keep hearing me say this, the key verse, John 20, verse 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John. Everything directs us to the Lord Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And when Christ is seen, he's given lordship over suffering. And that's not just physical, that's our, our mental anguish, that's our hurting hearts, that's our, our spiritual wrestling matches, right? Christ is given lordship over the suffering. When Christ's word is heard, we see God's will for the situation being accepted. This man just believes. He believes the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. That's as simple as it is, right? His word is heard. He's believed, and he accepts God's will in this situation. And what are the results? Come down to verse, the last part of verse 53. And he himself believed, and his whole household believed. His whole household was saved. His whole household was saved not because of the miracle. His whole household, the miracle did not save, did not provide salvation for these people. His household was saved because they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, how our crisis situations and circumstances would change if it all come up, became about Him. If it all became about, about the gospel that we have in Him, that Jesus being the Son of God, our perspectives, uh, how we handle ourselves, the hurting, would all be directed before the throne. And I know, I know we know that in this room. But we're surrounded by people who say, I just don't know anymore. With a broken heart, I just don't know who God is anymore. And that's heart-wrenching. And that's why we pray, and that's why we're lights. Noble man gets saved. Gentlemen get saved. <laughs> Let's pray that uh, we can be those lights as we go out. God doesn't change. We got time for one song that we planned? Yeah? Yeah, let's do one song. I, I didn't want to close on that note. Uh, be thinking towards somebody. Right? Maybe they're going through that situation right now. Um, grief, hurt, weight, burden. Right? Maybe they just, they just need that comforting arm and just saying, hey, look, here's the nobleman. Um, this is who God is. This is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. You coming up too, Krista? Yeah? What's that? This is real life. Real life.